Holy and gracious God, we give thanks that we continue to come together to hear a word from you. Having heard your scripture proclaimed, we pray that you would speak to us once more and that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord, our God. Amen. So this is, uh, a num- I don't even remember what week we're on. We're, we've gone through a number of weeks together of this, the church is not. Uh, after Easter, one of the traditional ways in which we approach our scripture and as, far, as well as our conversations, life together, is with a, a, a look at the church. Because if you know what happened on Easter is that Jesus is raised from the dead, but then he leaves the disciples. And not just that, he leaves the disciples and says, you will do greater works than these in reference to all the stuff that he had done. And over and over again, one of my mantras is, it's one of the craziest things God has ever done, is to entrust us to be God's embodiment and presence in the world. And all the time we see how churches sometimes miss the mark here and there. And what we've talked about is one of the first steps is how we miss the mark because we think that we have to earn that embodiment of God's love in the world. We have to do something to inherit it. And that's just wrong. The church is not earned. And that was the first place. And then we've gone through a number of weeks together about it. And last week, I hope I didn't offend anyone when I said the church is not about you. And we talked about how the church is about us giving back our praise and honor and giving it to God. Well, this week is uh, another one. Uh, Hopefully, I think it'll be good for us. But it's the church is not a country club. The church is not a country club. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about what that means later. Um, But have any of you, I I watch shows, and so have any of you ever seen the show uh, Secession that's out on HBO? Anyone? Yeah, okay. Bethany, I got one with me. It's it's a show, it mirrors kind of like uh, the the Fox News, like Enterprise. It's about this like, uh, you know, titan of industry that has built this entertainment conglomerate up, and he's a billionaire, and he has these three kids that are all kind of jockeying for who's going to be the next in line, secession of the business, like who's going to take it over. And it's a really good series and it has all sorts of twists and turns. And, but one of the things that I'm, I bring out to you this morning is that they're a very insular group. I mean, these like high elite, like all private jets, like billionaire clubs, even so much that there was a wedding of one of the brothers who's not quite, he's kind of the black sheep because he was born to a different wife than the rest of the three were. And they had a wedding. And, and one of the things that happens, the three main characters, the kids, they like go into the boat where the wedding is and they just immediately go up into their own space. They don't talk to anyone. They just like, like go into their own because that's like their world. And so to break into the world of these three is really difficult. And they have this nephew that is trying to jockey his way into some sense of inheritance. And he's this like 6'4 goofball, and his name is Greg. And he's always kind of getting picked on and made fun of. And he's just feels like, and he'll like jump in and like talk to the head guy in all these moments and be like, try to like make a really witty thing or something really smart. And everyone just kind of looks at him. And they literally will ask him, like, what are you doing here again, Greg? And then, like, they'll be like, I'm the cousin, right? You know, I have these good ideas. And I, and I say that because it's just this image, most recently, of this person that's trying desperately to get involved in this community, which is this family. But 
always kind of left at a stiff arm. Like he just feels like he can't be fully part of the community no matter how hard he tries to be a family member. And he reminds people that his dad has a vote at the table, like or granddad has a vote at the table for the board. I mean, he's got all the reason to be able to be included, but yet still is unable to be part of the club. I don't know if you've had an experience where you just all of a sudden realize like you don't fit in, right? Um, I remember my most recent is I have a friend of mine who uh, one of his favorite things in life is luxury goods. So like luxury clothes and different things. And so he comes to Hawaii and visits me. And one of the things he does is go to the stores. And so I was on the way to go to the airport. And he's like, we got to stop at the Gucci store before I go because they had to like get the order ready for me and like change it out. And um, friends, I did not belong in that store. Okay. I don't know if you know, but I don't shop there. I feel awkward like looking at the price tags of things because I was just like so interested. And it was like $5,000 sweater. And I was like, uh, maybe not. I, I was just, I, the whole experience was just totally surreal. And no one ever asked me if I was interested in anything because I think it was just evident that I was there to tag along with my buddy who was actually going to spend money in this store, right? Like I was out of a fish out of water. Water 100%. And I know that you have had similar experiences, whether it's walking into like work for the first time and feeling like you're the only one that looks or acts or is it this way, whether it's at school when you kind of like come in. But you know at some point in your life that you've experienced this feeling of like, I don't belong here. And what goes along with that is this feeling of, well, where do I belong? Or like, you know, like what you either want to try to fit in or you just like wonder, where else could I be? I believe that the church is the place that we should never ask that question, do I belong? Right? That each and every one of us ought to feel like we're welcomed at the table that God has made a seat for us. A friend of mine who, uh, as a pastor, Sarah Heath, and she's been with us before, we talk a lot about creating space, not just like space in a community, but like literally helping like our renovations that we did here was inspired together as we talked about how do we create space so that all feel welcome to the table. Because I believe that that's God's desire for us. And so much so that this is part of my mission ever since being a pastor is to follow the words of Jesus in the parable of the lost sheep. See, because I was with the youth last Saturday and I shared a little bit about my testimony and a little bit about my testimony was that I didn't feel like I fit in in high school. I was a little guy, hadn't hit puberty and being asked to try out for the, like the varsity hockey team, right? And so I was always jockeying to be cool. And it wasn't until I found myself in Christian community that I felt different. Like I was welcomed without having to prove myself. Like I didn't have to score a goal or had a big check or whatever it was I was needed to fit in. I was just included as I was. And it's there in that context of welcome and love of community that I came to learn about the love of God. As we create space for others who feel left out, the love of God is experienced. 
And so the lost sheep parable has a place in my heart because I was not a Christian. I didn't really have anything to do with it, but I felt like that Jesus was talking about me in that. That although we have 99 sheep that are kind of part of the club, that they're part of the shepherd's reign, right? Like they're there, they're doing what they're supposed to do. Jesus has this passion to go out and to find the one, to find the one that had gone astray and not just to find them and kind of like, well, you shouldn't have been doing that, you know, like, but to find them, bring them back and to rejoice over them. And Jesus has a number of these parables. It's the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the prodigal son who spoils everything and then comes back. And in each of those scenarios, Jesus rejoices at the welcome of the one who was lost. And I remember one of my pivotal times as a pastor when I uh, realized I was probably no longer a good fit for a congregation was when we were talking about, with the church council, the parable of the lost sheep. And we, we talked about that and talked about how, you know, like God's calling us to evangelize. And all of a sudden it became very apparent that everyone in the room, or not everyone, like a majority, majority in the room, thought that the parable of the lost sheep was purely about connecting to the people that had left the church for one reason or another. And for me, I saw it as connecting to the people that don't go to church, that don't like connect to God, that feel lost and feel lonely, right? Like not the people that didn't like the music and so they decided to go to a different church or not, you know, like I, I felt like, and I was like, at that moment, I, I realized that my vision for what does it mean to go? And don't get me wrong, it, it is valuable to connect to the people that have gone, but Jesus' intention, Jesus' heart is to reach out to those that are lost and lonely and to pull them back in. And I'm not trying to say if you don't go to church, you're lost and lonely. I think plenty of us are as well. But God's intention is to do that. And I know that you believe the same. And so when I think about the church, sometimes when I was a pastor in that context, or well, connected in that context as a leader, I realized that they were really concerned about maintaining the community that they had 10, 20 years ago. And when they saw their vision of what the church ought to be, it was about that. And one of the things that I always ask is, well, what does it mean for someone who's new? Like when someone who walks in, what are they going to think when they think about the bulletin? What are they going to think when they think about the aesthetics? What are they going to think when they are talked to or not talked to in those contexts? Like how are the new people going to feel welcomed here in this place? And so I ask those questions because I believe that Jesus, when he talks about the parable of the lost sheep, is emphasizing the power of connecting those that are lost. And so friends, there's a takeaway. If you do that, you're always reaching out to those that are feeling disconnected. You will always kind of lose this sense of country club feel, right? Because what do you have in a country club? You like, have earned your place there by paying your dues. You have a sort of social status to fit in and feel connected. You like, got your golf polos. I, don't, I haven't been part of a country club since I was a kid, so I don't remember what it's like. But like, you, you feel like you're there, right? 
And even so much that, you know, like the what you do and dress, like all of a sudden becomes really important, you know, kind of like those like really intense HOA, right? That's like, well, you know, like you wore shorts and you can't wear shorts into the club room. You really got to wear the pants and you got to do all the things to be part of it. And did you know that the majority of people who don't find themselves here on Sunday mornings with us think that that's what we're more like than a place that rejoices over those who don't feel connected? I've told this story uh, before, but I was pastor in downtown Chapel Hill, and it was this large uh, steeple, and we were the ones where the helicopter flew up by, and we had all kinds of community groups that meet in the facility, and we were trying to be more welcoming. And so one of the things that we did is we asked the people, our church people, how do they view themselves by taking cuttings of their, like, of newspapers and magazines and making a collage. And then we asked the community groups that used our facility daily, weekly, all the time, to do the same. So we got these like little small groups together. And then we went across the street to Starbucks, literally. It was like downtown, college town, across the street to Starbucks and paid people $5 gift cards to like give us what you think about the church, just images and stuff. And so the one insight, I mean, like our people, yeah, I mean like friendly, arms, welcome, like hugs, like all these things. And then the consultant that was helping us with the community groups that we're in, um, we have a lot of like diverse community groups that use the facility. And she was really quick to point out two things. One, that all of the images of the community groups of us were all white people because we were mostly white congregation. But the images of the congregation was like diverse and you know, welcoming because that's how we wanted to be. And then the other image that they saw was like, it was all hugs and arms with the back turned. Like they saw community happening, but the image that they had was of like, being outside of the community and not in it. You know what I mean? Like different than the smiles and the welcomes like this. And it was like, a, it was a stark contrast because we had tried, like my entire position as a pastor was to help get them connected, right? Like that was our passion. So our church leaders were like, wow, how do we do this differently? But then the people across the street, the $5 gift cards, friends, you know, want to know the things that were like there, right? It was like crosses and hammer judgments and like all sorts of things that were in the news. And we were like, wait, what? Like, this is how you see us? Like, and it was just surprising. And so when we, when we talk about being the church, when I say the church is not a country club, we need to go out of our way to do that and to really try to remind people of that. And I know that's really hard for us, because we're, a lot of us find themselves in the Methodist tradition, um, or at least mainline tradition, where evangelism is a word, um, is an E word, almost like a curse word, right? Like we don't want to evangelize because, you know, we don't want people to feel like we're like judging them or coming across, we want to do that. But we have good news. Being a table that is open and welcoming to all is good news. And not just that, it's needed news. I brought a podium with me today. Yeah, I know those of you who know, I'd never, never do this, but I wanted to get some statistics right. Because I had, you know, before known about this social phenomenon, about the, the deterioration of social communities and gatherings. Uh, in 2000, Robert Putnam, a Harvard professor, wrote a book called Bowling Alone and talks about how, you know, like the community spaces like bowling alleys and stuff had started to deteriorate amongst the suburban sprawls that have been happening throughout the nation. And so no longer were people gathering together like they used to. And did you know that the Surgeon General of the United States, right, 
recently published, like I have some pages from it, the epidemic of loneliness. Did you know that? The epidemic of loneliness. And here's some statistics from it. From 2003 to 2020, the hours that people spend in social engagement with friends has decreased from 60 hours to 20 hours. 60 hours we used to spend with friends back when Friends was a TV show that was happening, <laughs> and now to, to 20, right? It's, like, it's crazy. It's mind-boggling. Engaging uh, with other, in others in general has moved from 54 hours to 34 hours. The youth of the, the, our generation, it's not just the older people, from ages 15 to 24 have gone down in social interaction 70%. 70% from what it used to be. We have an epidemic of loneliness, so much so that the government is putting out statements. And not just this. Did you know? I didn't know this until I was doing research this week. Here in this chart, I have a little bit. You can see it on the screen a little bit. Get a little bit closer. You know, the red line is the social mortality, the mortality rates. Loneliness is more deadly than smoking. Loneliness is more deadly than smoking. Mortality rate. It affects our bodies, our souls, and the church's hope to the world, one of our hopes to the world, is to be what? Just simply community of welcome and love. And we're afraid sometimes to share that with other people. And friends, I can speak from my own journey into the faith. I wasn't invited into the church and didn't come to the church because someone said, hey, what I believe is better than what you believe. You should come join me and learn from my teacher. He's really great. I got connected because someone said, hey, you're not doing anything. You got cut from the hockey team and are bored at home. Why don't you come with me to this thing called Young Life? It's fun. Worst case scenario, you have a little bit of fun right? And we do events like that. Parents' night out, movie nights, and we want to do more and more, not because like, we're trying to convince everyone that we're right, but because we take seriously Jesus' heart for those that are lost and dying, literally dying, because of something that the church is supposed to do. And not just that, what really struck me was at in a NPR article kind of summarizing some of this, like these are the six agenda points of the government because the government's going to fix this for us, friends. Did you know that? I'm really excited because they're going to strengthen social infrastructure. They're going to build parks and better libraries. They're going to, you know, create pro-connection public policy. They're going to mobilize the health sector to engage with those that are lonely. They're going to reform digital environments and, you know, kind of go after TikTok and Instagram. And, and they're going to deepen our knowledge and awareness for the issue. And they're going to create a culture of, or cultivate a culture of connection, right? And as I read those, I mean, I'm excited for their policies, but my hope, right, of that being if they just, we, we trust the government to do that job for us. I read it and I said, this is the job of the church, Right? Yes, awesome, the government's behind an agenda that the church ought to have been about for the past 2,000 years of drawing people in to community. A simple thing, welcoming someone to coffee after church, 
letting someone know, inviting them to an event, trying to go out and be community. Friends, that is the church. And you don't need to just trust my words on this. The Surgeon General stamp is on this. And go read the documents, like 80 pages. We're called to draw people into community. Jesus, so much so, that would leave the 99 for the sake of the one. Friends, there are so much more than one out there because I know there's more than one in this room that feels lonely. The call of the church is to draw us in to community, to gather us around the table, and to ensure that everyone feels welcome without judgment, to be included, to be part of a community that is definitely not a country club. I invite you to pray with me. And as we pray, I also want to invite us to consider the prayers and the needs of the world. Certainly so, the loss and isolation that we feel with the, the loneliness epidemic, and also uh, the fear and the violence that we continue to experience in our nation. Let's pray together. Holy and gracious God, we see the need. People are more lonely and isolated than ever before in our history. And yet, supposedly, we have all these things that connect us. And your call for us as the church is to be a community that calls one another brothers and sisters, kins in Christ, family together. Help us be the sort of community that continues to make new family, to expand our ohana, to welcome those that are lonely, and to go out into the community and be that love that's so desperately needed. And throughout the world, we know this is just the United States, that Pope Francis, too, has talked about loneliness as being the greatest epidemic of our day. And violence and hunger and all oppression seeks to continue to isolate us from one another, displace us from our homes, from our communities, from our neighborhoods. So we pray for unity and community throughout the world. In the same way, we pray for the earth, so distant and removed that we don't even know where our food comes from. Help us feel and be more connected to all the earth around us. As St. Francis of Assisi describes as brothers and sisters with creation. And for our nation, we pray. For a nation that is divided politically and then also socially isolated from even those that we agree with. Help draw us into community and help the church be a leader.
And for the gun violence yet again that has happened in our nation, we pray. We pray that it wouldn't just end with thoughts and prayers, but that we could find some sort of way forward through the mess of violence that we have found ourselves in in our nation. Give us wisdom that leads us to action. For our local community, we pray. That we might be connected across the diverse community that we find ourselves in, in Hawaii. Building deeper relationships with our native Hawaiian brothers and sisters, deeper relationships with those that look, think, act differently than us. And that we might learn to live into the beauty of the Aloha Spirit. And for our church, we pray. For the church universal, that we would be seen as an entity not of boundaries and borders, but of sharing the love of your son, Jesus, that was offered to all, and that celebrates over just one person finding community and wholeness. And for our United Methodist Church, that is in the news for dividing and fighting, that we would be somehow through it all living into the motto that we have had for so many years, open hearts, open doors, open minds. And that we here at Kailua UMC would be known as a community of open arms that welcomes all as they are. And that we would do that so much that we wouldn't just stop here in our building, but we would go out beyond our walls and create tables wherever we find ourselves for people to have seats and to feel welcome and to find a sense of community. And create in us the imagination to find ways to connect us to one another and to the community around us so that we can help save lives. So that we can help create wholeness in our neighborhoods, and in Kailua. And for those that are near and dear on our hearts, we pray. For those that are in the hospital, like our brother Sam Cox. And for those that are isolated and at home and not able to be with us in worship, we pray. and for all the others we name silently. And together we lift up these prayers to you in trust of your love and care. And it's in your Son, Jesus' name, that we pray. Amen.